Father, we are thankful for your word, for the privilege of being able to study it again today. We know that um, these things may be familiar to us and we could lose our wonder. And we ask that you would help us not, that you would open our eyes to see more clearly uh, the story of Christ coming to rescue sinners. We thank you today that we were able to see that in a baptism. It's a reminder that we are united to Christ in his death and united to him in his resurrection and receive all the benefits of what he accomplished. We pray that we would see that together again today as we think about the wonder of our salvation. I pray if there are those who have yet to believe that by the power of your spirit that you would open blind eyes so that they could see. In Christ's name, amen. Today we are leaving uh, the Jewish court and going to the Roman court. And for some of you, uh, you may have never really thought about that, but there is that on display that you could say that both Jews and Gentiles corporately are going to, uh, to, to set uh, Jesus to the place where he's going to be crucified. They're going to condemn him in court, and so that is clear. And so I think it's important to understand that it's a way of saying you leave the religious sphere and you go to the political sphere. And uh, that is, again, another helpful thing. When you think about the religious sphere, it was always committed blasphemy. But the, uh, the Roman world and the Roman leaders wouldn't think anything of that. However, in the political sphere, there is this thought, he is the king of the Jews. And that would make Rome say, hold on just a second. Uh, there's only one king of the Jews, and that is Caesar. And so that is where we are and something that might help you as you're thinking about it. Um, you know, there's a question within the Roman world would be kind of like, will there be another uprising? Is there going to be another kind of people like uh, rising up to try to uh, throw off Rome? And are we going to have to send in troops? And is there going to be another battle on display? And so all of that is, is inside of this. You have to think about that when you're considering uh, what is going on. And um, it's surprising, really, that the religious leaders and, and even the crowd that they would gather around and say, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, but it's not in God's plan. I mean, it, it, in God's plan, it's exactly what is going to happen. And so we just have to understand that and see that as we move forward. Now, the past weeks, we've said Jesus is laying down his life willingly, he willingly lays down his life. When you and I speak of this, we have to understand Jesus was not one that was uh, mistreated in the sense that he didn't want to do what he was doing. He willingly laid down his life, and not only that, for cowards and unfaithful followers. That's what you want to understand. And then in Gethsemane, you, again, you understand Jesus is preparing. He knows what's coming. He's not like unaware of what's coming upon him. And he stays awake, and he is like praying and, and sweating drops of blood because it's so intense. He fights that battle uh, there while his disciples, of course, who we said, like, you know, they're cowards, uh, they fled when everything came down because they were sleeping uh, throughout the whole process. And then last week, in that formal trial with the Sanhedrin, Peter faced this trial uh, before a servant girl while Jesus is facing it before the, the, this, the religious world, the religious establishment. And we are going to see Jesus was the faithful key witness, as we did, 
And also, Peter is one who denies Jesus three times. So along the way, when we're thinking about discipleship, this is not hidden that Jesus is faithful and the disciples are unfaithful. And uh, we have to, to know that because when we're bearing witness ourselves, we know that we're going to experience trouble. And when it comes, we want to be found faithful and we want to learn from this thing. But also, we also know, as we do every week, when we're praying prayers of confession, that we fail and we need him. Because he is faithful, and he will do for us in spite of us. He will do good things for us. He's provided for us a way to know him, to be close to him. Today, Jesus is going to be tried and scourged and delivered to be crucified. And that's what we'll be looking at as we move through the text this morning. And it is actually, at this point, it is morning. Like, it's early in the morning. They are meeting together uh, they're going to, or they meet together very quickly, and then they take Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. That's where we're at. And Pilate's going to ask Jesus if he is the king of the Jews, and Jesus was going to calmly answer, You have said so. And the Jewish leaders accuse him of many things, and Pilate tries to force Jesus to respond to their accusations, but he will not. And Pilate is amazed at what is taking place here. So there's two things that are kind of really entrenched within this study of it. And you guys know that if you read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you can read uh, the, these accounts that they write. But Mark has its, his own thing that he's going to focus on. And so we're going to talk about some of those as we have throughout Mark. Uh, we've talked about some of the other things that are taught by the other apostles and those who are writing these uh, four Gospels. But, but here, what we're going to say is there's a couple of things that he really focuses on. And, and, and I think that's helpful for us to do. So first, Jesus' answer to Pilate points to the absurdity of the moment. He says, you have said so. This is like um, a way of saying, like, why don't you consider? Like, you pause and consider. Um, and what we find out in some of the other writers, he is a king, but not in the way Pilate is using the term. Pilate thinks totally an earthly king. Uh, and, and the reality is, is he, is he is reigning over all and will forever reign over all, but it's not just an earthly thing. Um, there's, he is Lord of all. And so I think it's just important to say there's that simplistic thing of considering that. He is Lord of everything. Everybody, they don't really understand the depths of who he is as the one who is the king of all. Um, the other kind of meaning is, uh, deeper meaning you might see, is that Jesus was silent. He is so quiet. He has been accused of all kinds of crazy things. And unlike you who build a case about how uh, you're never guilty, you know, maybe in your life, you're like rarely ever guilty, you think. And your arguments at home, you're like, uh, I'm like totally not guilty, and you're the guilty one. You know, if you do that, and then you ice your spouse out or whatever. Like, he is silent. And the reason he is silent is he's telling you something. And it's something from Isaiah 53.7, where he is the suffering servant who is willingly going. At any moment, he could have stopped this. He is willingly taking his place as God intended for him to do. So we're looking at Jesus being tried and then scourged and then delivered to be crucified this morning. And as you do that, I think it'll be helpful that you would keep all of those things in perspective. A few things that, again, Mark leaves out that I thought might be helpful for you is in Matthew, um, 
Pilate's wife has a dream. And uh, in that world, uh, there, there was, you know, people are superstitious in our world, but that, it's like that dream now, that would make him really nervous. She had a dream and it's like, this is not a good thing. Another thing that he does in a very visible way is he washes his hands. I'm like, he's going to give them what they want, but he washes his hands saying, I'm not guilty of this. In Luke, he, he, there's an additional interrogation by Antipas, which is another thing, like there's this thought of like, this, this is not a trial that is right or good. And then John includes a theological discussion between Jesus and Pilate where they're talking about authority. But Mark, he shortens it and he makes it clear um, that Jesus is the king, but that he's also the, the suffering servant. And so that's kind of where he focuses today. So I think it's important to see that and to understand that. We understand the silence, and we also, the only other thing I might mention is um, Pilate tries to calm the crowd, but he's unable. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but it's almost like he wants to pardon Jesus, but he cannot, he cannot get the crowd to stop. And so Mark chapter 15, verse 1, it is morning. The chief priests kind of get together really quick, not as another court scene, but rather like, here's what we're about to do, and they're going to go out. They bind Jesus, they lead him away, and they deliver him over to Pilate. Um, again, those things started early in the day. A lot of times uh, the rulers would want to be a part of leisurely activities as the day went on. Uh, you can go to places today where you can see kind of all of the benefits they had as uh, rulers in that day. And so um, they want to get everything done so that they could enjoy uh, the time that they wanted to have. That, you know, sometimes you'll think about like, look, I just want everything to be peaceful today, so let's get the bad things out of the way, and then the rest of the day is for us. And that's kind of what the situation would have been like. And so um, that is what's taking place. And, you know, the deal is, is... Um, They've completed their plot against Jesus. They've been wanting to kill him all along. These religious leaders, they want to do it. They've made the decision. And now, uh, because they cannot punish him, like in a capital way, they couldn't crucify him, they had to bring in the Romans to do that. It, it was required for them. And so that's what's taking place. They needed the authority of the governor um, to do this. And they needed him to say And in some ways, when people said man, uh, Jesus was a good guy in the future, you know, they could almost say something like, the Romans did it, you know. It's kind of building a case for them. And, and you can see that on display. And so they're doing this. Jesus is a victim uh, as a result. Like, he, in one sense, you could say, he's the, a victim of the Jewish and the Roman world. Like, th this court system, in both cases, he's just, he is a victim. That, that's one thing that you could clearly say. In, in another way, you could say, you know what? When he was delivered over, the book of Acts says, according to God's plan, predetermined plan, like you could look at this and say, yeah, he was a victim, but, it, but, but listen, this was his plan all along. Jesus planned to come and die. If you're a kid here this morning, and one day you're hearing people talk about Jesus and all different types of things and say like, oh, you know, there'll be people that'll say, you know, it was really sad that such a great teacher in first century Judaism that, that, they, uh, that this, this great teacher was crucified. I mean, that was a horrible thing done. It, you need to remind yourself, it, it's, it may look like a tragedy, but it's truly a triumph. And he willingly went there. If you're sitting here this morning, you think like, does he love sinners? 
Does He love people that are hard-hearted sinners? Does He love them in spite of the way that He knows what they've done and what they will do? Does He love them? The reality is, is He willingly went knowing exactly where they were. Knowing exactly what they had done. Knowing the, the fickle nature of all those people. Later in the book of Acts when they were preaching, Peter will stand up and say, you crucified him. And then he preached the gospel. The good news. That those who crucified him can be saved by him. So, verse 2 through 5. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. So he's going to ask him the question. Um, and again, we've talked about this with the chief priest, but it's more of a statement. You are the king of the Jews. Right? With a little question mark. You are the king of the Jews. Question mark. Silence. Waiting to see what he said. And Jesus is going to respond. And he's going to say, you have said so. It, it's interesting. You will see a lot of statements made about Jesus that are true that the people saying them don't believe them, you know? And, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and Mark will allow you to see that in a, a powerful way. They're like confessing him, even though they don't possess that confession as something that they love and cherish, they are confessing him. So before the Jewish authorities, Jesus had been charged with threats against the temple and blasphemy, but here they bring the Messiah card. It was like if you were going to build a case and you were like, listen, when we get in here with this bunch, we're going to bring this up. Even at a church, like there are certain things that I know that I could bring up to y'all. You would be like, I knew it, you know. Then I would go over to this other church. They didn't believe like y'all. And they're like, I knew it. And be like, hey, y'all believe it and y'all believe it. We're all together. Let's go. You know, that's kind of the idea. So they, he goes to uh, this first group where the high priest would. And he would say, hey, let's unite around these things. Then he comes here and it's like, the king of the Jews, that makes the governor a little nervous. Because the Jews were always mad and ready to fight. And they, these political things just got them all fired up. And they're like, so tired of the Romans. We've got to overthrow them. They're always looking for a Messiah who will show up and run them out of town. They want a second round of what happened in Egypt. That's what they wanted. And they wanted the Roman Empire out of their land and out of their hair and out of their face and all of their laws and all of their debauchery, all that junk. They wanted it out. And so, he says, are you, you the king of the Jews? Um, and like I said, Jesus doesn't answer it in the way perhaps that he would have wanted. Um, but, in, you know, with the Jews, claiming to be the Messiah would not be like something they would go after him. But in this case, they would. Um, and so... Um, I think it's just important to see that. And even Jesus' ministry, uh, he did confront things that went on in, in Judaism and in the Roman world. He didn't like, uh, he didn't, but, he, but he wasn't like he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. I mean, like I said, some of the things he did and said would be like, we don't agree with him. But he is not trying to raise up a group of people to like go in there and fight against the Roman world. You know, and you, you know that because in Gethsemane, when a sword was pulled and an ear was cut off, like he said, stop that, healed the ear, and they went on. He's like, we don't fight that way. 
That's not what we're trying to do. So in Jesus' teaching ministry and in, in the work that he did of, of healing and doing all those things, uh, he, he was always um, pushing his followers to understand who he was and what he came to do, but it just didn't look like what they thought that it would. But in the Roman world, it's just something to know. Like, you know, in our world, people would say something like, just leave, uh, you know, your religion and your politics as separate. In the Roman world, those two things would be together. And so um, the Jews were not required to, uh, like, worship the emperor, um, but they did not want somebody to rise up, the Romans didn't, that would be like, Oh no, they've got their king, they're going to rally around and we're going to have to go and whip them. But that would come later. I mean, that's going to come in the story, but not in this story. And so we see and understand that. So Jesus says, you say so. Again, it kind of gives him, if he'd have said it just like, I am this, maybe, maybe Pilate could say, oh, we need to execute him. But the way in which he said it, it wasn't really, he wasn't denying it, but he almost like pushed it on Pilate to say, you tell me. You know, you tell me. You've said it. You said it, Pilate, not me. And so um, I, I think it's important to understand that. And Jesus, again, is going to, his, his passivity or his being quiet is just, it is like this resolve to do what he had come to do. He's resolved to do what he'd come to do. He is surrendering to God's sovereignty. Some Sometimes you get stirred up and are just so upset and ready to go after something and you don't tame your tongue and you're not bridling it and pulling it back. The reality is, if you stopped and thought about it, be like you would say, God has me here. But you're kicking and screaming at the person in front of you instead of pulling back and saying, God has me here. It's because you're sleeping rather than staying awake. Jesus is an example of one who is clearly aware of what's going on. He walks into it. And he walks into it in a way that is so beautiful because it reminds you that he has totally surrendered to the Father. He knows it's horrible. It's going to be difficult. The weight of it, not just the earthly weight, but the heavenly weight that he is going to endure is almost... It's more than you can bear when you think about it. But Isaiah 53, 7 says this, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Mark notes twice that of Pilate's amazement. He hasn't seen someone like this. How could a man that he clearly looks at and thinks he is innocent, how could he How could he go and step into that? He's amazed by it because it is not the same thing really as faith, but it's a step towards that. It's like a little bit of an awe. You know, it's like it stopped him and thought, who is this? What kind of person could do that? He's clear, they're clearly like they've made up this sham argument. Everybody speaks about his massive like intellect and the ability to confront anything. And every, I mean, Pilate knew something about Jesus. There was talk about those things. That, I mean, they probably heard many, many things. It's, it's going on all around him. There's this excitement around him. They, they knew that there was somebody that people were pointing to. But to sit there and watch that, it was a shocking thing to see. 
that he would step into that and not defend himself. He's willingly going to the place that he was called to go. So, verse 6 and 7. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Pilate's going to give an opportunity, which is something he's done you know, before, evidently, that there's an opportunity to get Jesus off the hook. And I'm sure, like, he longed for that. Knowing all that backstory in the other Gospels, he would want that. Like, you don't want to carry something forward that you know is wrong, even if he's a wretched man, like, even with, but with his wife saying, hey, hold on, with his own misgivings, you can see, like, he's questioning that. So this is seeming like an opportunity to do that. To, but his plan's going to misfire because the crowd is going to go against Jesus, which is it's one of those things where you think, really? How could they do that? We've watched them along the way, and we thought, it's interesting to see how like they would seem so committed to Jesus and now just totally turn against him, knowing who he was and the things that he had done. And so the bitterness, really, you could say, against Jesus and Pilate is, is shocking. I mean, that, that's one of those things where you're like, you know, you knew they didn't like Pilate. There's a lot of information about Pilate. If we were to, you could read a little history about him. It's written about him. Uh, one thing he did, at one point he built an aqueduct, but he went and took the temple money to do it, and they could not stand him for that. Everybody's angry with him. So he had a lot of trouble as he was trying to maneuver politically, because he didn't always make good decisions, to, to um, move through uh, with the Jewish people. They were not easy to deal with. And so that's, you know, he had some troubles already, but it was, um, but he still had this thing that he did, this, this special occasion thing where he would give one person the freedom to go to pardon them. And so he would have thought that they would let this one go. Um, it's interesting, though. It's like he had the ability to possess the authority. He had the authority, I guess you could say, to do it. But the voice of the crowd carried a lot of weight for him. He's listening to see what they want. I mean, you've known politicians, I guess, that way, that you thought like, hmm, you didn't really think like that before, but now you're totally committed to that. How did that happen? You know, uh, Probably because you know what your people want, and so you figure out how to do that. It made me think of in Gladiator, the emperor, uh, like he would stand up and the people would cheer, and he'd have like his thumb like this, and he'd turn his thumb up if he was going to let somebody live, and turn it down if he wanted, if he was going to kill them, and the crowds are cheering, cheer, you know, like saying like, you know, basically do away with this person, you know, and uh, so anyway, I, I think about that, that's kind of the thing that you hear, it's all of this voice in his head, and there's this um, uprising, you might, of the people that you would hear, so uh, the people are going to like clamor for a known killer, it's just, it's hard to believe that they would stand behind someone they knew was so wicked. Their hatred for Jesus was so great. Now, Jesus, who is perfect in every way, they, they would have never seen him do anything wrong, ever. And he's perfect in every way, and they are standing behind a murderer. The criminal's name was Barabbas. And um, one, uh, uh, Edwards wrote about this, and he says, like when you think about, you know, when you're looking at that, you know, the Hebrew for Barabbas is the son of the Abba or the son of the father. Um, and others thought in different ways, but ultimately when you see son of the father, it kind of heightens things 
because you're looking at that and saying, wow, that, that's shocking. Because in Matthew 27, the given name for this man was Jesus, which heightens the drama there even further. So the son of the father and Jesus, kind of all that comes to the head. And it's like this, which Jesus do you want? The son of Abba or the would-be Messiah? And they have to make a decision of where they're going to go and what they will do. And so um, it's, it's ironic because at first, Pilate seems to want to pardon Jesus. Um, but he, he, can't, he can't do that. He, he's driven too much by what the people would say. But at the end of the day, we understand Jesus came to die. He came to give his life. Um, this prison exchange... Just kind of thinking about it when you're looking at it and considering it, is a reflection of the substitutionary understanding of the atonement. You say, well, that's a big word. It's like someone standing in your place, paying for your sins. That's what that looks like. Romans 5 8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. In that glimpse of Barabbas and Jesus, that interaction, that's what's taking place. The innocent one is stepping up while the wicked one is getting to walk away. That, that, that should help you think about what the gospel is about, what it teaches us. And so that would be something for you to see and help you as you move through this text and think about it. You, like Barabbas, have been set free while he was condemned. If, if, that, if that helps you, I hope it does, to just stop and consider the beautiful uh, drama unfolding, and you're saying a condemned criminal is set free, and a perfectly righteous man is condemned in his place. Verse 8, And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them, and he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowds, to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And so they go up to this high place where these things would be done, and a high point in the city, and as they go up there, they go up there with this purpose to bring these things before him, and as they do, he says to them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Because he thought there was so much energy with the crowd Remember when Jesus walked into Jerusalem and they were cheering and all? He thought, surely they'll stand beside uh, Jesus. And he also thought, these chief priests, we know, they don't care anything about the people. They don't care much about Jesus. They just want to silence that and get this thing done. And so what happens, he thinks, look, they are envious because he, Jesus has all the, this honor and they're losing power. And they can't stand it. You know, if you think about it in your life, you can do a couple of things. If you are envious of someone, you can either try to discredit them, which is what he tried to do, you know, or overpower them, which they were not trying to overpower him. It was clear, you know, or you try to kill them. I mean, it ultimately would lead to that. You want them not only to not have the place of honor, but you don't want them to have any place at all. And that's what's taking place. And so... Um, they could envy him for a lot of things. He's a great teacher, a great healer. Uh, he was a great orator, in, in the and also like someone that could could speak on his own behalf and like argue with someone and always would win and all those things that they would want to see done away because they wanted the place of honor and power. Um, 
they could not beat him. They could not join him. They couldn't do that. So they wanted to kill him. And that is how this is laid out before us. So I think you, you we're moving through a lot, but I want you to think about it and hopefully feel the weight of where this is going. And so everything was like a fabrication. These wealthy Sadducees who knew how to collaborate with Rome, they're coming together and they're using everything that they possibly can to do away with Jesus and do away with him forever. You see even that the high priest kind of pushing it all forward, like the voice in the people's heads for them to hear and listen and to consider. And it is a frightening thing to think about like how much treachery and evil and darkness is aligned together in this. But yet again, Jesus is silent because he knows this is what he's destined to do. Verse 12, And Pilate again said to them, Then shall I do with the man you call, what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. I mean, they, it's just hard to think about. They would want that to be done. Their desire to see him destroyed completely, not only that, in a way that's the most horrific way that you could imagine. It's, it's shocking to think. In verse 14, and Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more. It's almost like if I was on this mic and I'm like, what evil has he done? And you are like screaming at the top of your lungs, crucify him. This united kind of form of evil is shocking. And really, Pilate, three times, he kind of tries to step in and say, really? This guy, it doesn't seem like he's deserving of what you are calling to be done to him. It, but there's something with him, he just can't let it go. He knows he has to stand before these people later. And it scares him. And, and it's one of those things he's going to struggle with throughout. So there's kind of these ironic things about what's going on here. Pilate, who begins by seeking amnesty for Jesus, ends by seeking it for himself. The Jewish subjects, on the other hand, who whose duty is to obey and assert their will and win the day. There's kind of, that's, that it's shocking to see. The free sovereign loses his freedom to, force, to forces he presumes to control, whereas Jesus, the silent prisoner, who has no control, remains true to his divinely ordained purpose and thus alone remains truly free. You think, wait, he's not Jesus is the one in chains, but he's really the one who is truly free, which is true many times in life. But anyway, verse 15, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. It's crazy to me that the crowd was so behind him, and yet they're so fickle. I don't know if you've ever been in a place of leadership where you're like, man, I thought these people were behind me. And it was, you found out, whoa, they like move so quickly away. When everybody, when so, you know, I guess sometimes I think about the more you think that there's this extreme love and like, you know, you got to stop and think, ugh, that can quick, quickly swing to an extreme hatred. But Jesus was not controlled by their responses. Honestly, this is something to really think about. He knew going in where they would be and he knew that he would send his he knew he would send his disciples back to preach to those same people to come and hear the gospel. 
Are there people you think are too far away from it? The gospel. Too far. They've done too much. Jesus willingly went, knowing that the, the, the accusers, that the ones crying out crucify, that, that condemned him to death, he would give his life for them. And so I, I think it's important to see all of that. Now, I just want you to understand, the flogging here is so horrendous, they would take a leather whip woven with bits of bone, metal, and like lead balls, and they would strike you. Under like the Jewish kind of law, you could do it 39 times, 40 minus 1. Paul said he was whipped in this way. The Romans didn't have such a law. But oftentimes, if somebody was going to be crucified, they would do this, and they might not even make it alive to the crucifixion. That's what took place. And you just have to understand that. Like literally, it is stripping flesh, tearing it away, leaving you open your whole body, and people are dying in the process. We know that with Jesus, he couldn't even carry the cross. Someone had to carry it for him. The beating was so brutal that um, one emperor was so terrified of the whip, he just couldn't even, to get close to it, he couldn't even think about doing it. And it's interesting just to see that and understand when you stop and consider like the depth of the, the, the darkness and the, the, the tragedy in this. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, come to earth, and now they're crucifying him, and they're whipping him and beating him. And so if you think about this whole study and you look back over it, I think it might be helpful for you to stop and say, let me look at the characters in the story. You ready? You might be today someone standing there and say, you know what? I, I know what that high priest is like. I, I understand that like if Jesus came into my life, the sphere that I'm at, and he took prominence, if he took away my prominence, I, I don't know if I could bear that. If he took away my place of authority that other people looked at me and thought of me like a king, even if my kingdom is really, really small, just don't know if I could do it. Or maybe like the crowds where you're like, you know what, one time I considered Jesus the best, but now it's like, I don't know, he hasn't done much for me lately. I hate him. I know I hate him. You're like, well, I'm never going to be there. Or maybe, like Pilate, you think, Jesus is probably innocent. But when it came down to it, and it came down to you saving yourself and your family, you would walk away. Because you love your family more than you love Jesus. That's a scary place. Or maybe, and this may all hit a little closer to home for you, maybe... Um, you could identify with Jesus today. And in identifying with him, you're united with him by faith. His death is your death. His condemning is your condemning. His resurrection is your resurrection. And lastly, you don't want to forget Barabbas. We know that we are sinners. Criminals who've broken God's law. Guilty as charged, deserving death for our rebellion against our creator and ruler of the universe. 
And Jesus, through the grace of giving himself for us at the cross, takes our place and we're released. You might say today, I'm Barabbas. I'm the one so clearly guilty and deserving of condemnation, but set free because of the willing substitution of the Son of God in my place. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, Jesus says. I came to call the righteous. I came, I'm sorry, not to call the righteous, but sinners. So wherever you are today, there's probably someone you can identify with or multiple places. I would say to you, remember the story, uh, this whole story. I would say for sure focus in on Barabbas and Jesus. It's the place you want to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Christ that's done for us. May we be a people who recognize who you are, see our sin for what it is, and see the wonderful Savior who willingly took our place so that we could live, so that we would have life. There are those who are here today lost and dead in their sins, living a life that's alienated from the gospel. May they come to saving faith today. In Christ's name, amen.